You are listening to the You Are a Lawyer podcast. I am the podcast host, Kyla Denanyo, a 2015 law school graduate. This podcast was created to share the experiences and successes of law school graduates who created their own paths to career success. In episode 38, I am speaking with a social media mogul and lawyer. This guest created a multi-million dollar law firm while being authentic on social media. Based in Atlanta, Georgia, today's guest is Ali Awad. Welcome to the podcast, Ali. Thank you. So I know a lot about you. Um, Your biography is incredible. Your social media accounts are wonderful. But would you share with the audience a little bit about yourself? My name is Ali Awad, and I help injured people make a wad of money. I started my practice from the trunk of my car in 2017. In 2018, my first full year in business basically was just creating ads from social media from my phone and generated $3.2 million in settlements for my practice. Following year, I showcased everything on Instagram and had my first million dollar month. And in 2020, we had our first eight figure year. And I basically just create content on social media to educate and entertain the audience. And whatever content works well, I run it as an ad. And I've basically built an entire ecosystem with a full-time media team to amplify content. And I've sort of become a legal influencer. Mm-hmm. on social media. I think now I have a little over a million followers on Instagram, a couple hundred thousand on TikTok and Snapchat and Facebook. So it's growing. We're hustling. We're out here, you know, yeah. just trying to, trying to make a name and trying to make mama proud. <laughs> so I appreciate your intro, but um, you're a bit modest. <laughs> you have 1.4 million followers on Instagram under the name CEO Lawyer. And then your TikTok is about 192,000. Social media and advertising, especially as a lawyer, is not the easiest thing. What was it about social media that made you just love it? Honestly, if I'm being completely honest, Mm -hmm. I always wanted to be an actor. Okay. Ever since I was a kid, I liked comedy. I liked being a showman. I liked making other people laugh, being the center of attention. But growing up in a Muslim household, that wasn't really a professional career, you know, (laughs) in -hmm. a Middle Eastern household, you have, you know, three career choices, doctor, lawyer, engineer, pick two. And so I decided to go to law school, actually first in college and just shout out to my dad here. When I was 18, I told him, look, I really want to get into acting. I think I'm really good at it. I have a talent for it. I want to be on camera. I want to be a superstar. He's like, all right, cool. Let's go to the Art Institute of Atlanta and just see what this is all about. Okay. And he pushed me and promoted me towards my dreams. And then when I went there, I realized those people did not look like me. Like mm-hmm. I'm not a creative style person, like artistic. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm like, I'm a hustler. I'm a salesman. Like I'm, I'm a go-getter. I'm an mm-hmm. entrepreneur. I'm not going to sit here and deal with artistic folks because it's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. And I realized when I went there, at least at the time, this was about 12, 13 years ago at the time, the path to becoming an actor and becoming famous and becoming successful as an actor was go to school, get internships, you know, start with these low budget films, work your way up, continue to hustle, maybe 10, 15 years into it, someone will discover you. And that was it. That was a strategy. Yeah. And now you're seeing that with Vine and with Instagram and with TikTok, actors, artists, influencers are becoming famous and getting in high budget movies Mm -hmm. just from social media. And yeah. it's, it's really interesting because I didn't even really think about this until you just mentioned it, until I just started saying this out loud. 
if I would have been 10 years younger, I don't think I would have been a lawyer. Okay. Like if I was born in 2000 instead of 1990 and I was visiting the art Institute or thinking about being an actor in 2018 versus 2008, I probably wouldn't have gone to law school. I probably would have been like, no, I'm just going to create funny videos and content on social media and become famous that way Mm -hmm. and become a mega influencer through funny videos and, and content. So instead of going the art route, I decided to get a degree in English, Spanish, and Chinese because I loved languages. Okay. I opened up a car audio store in the mall in Kennesaw, Georgia, where I finished my undergrad. I had an online store where I was selling electronics and basically drop shipping them and selling them all over the country and all over the world. And then I just started getting really good at online sales and business. Mm -hmm. And so when I finally went to law school, that's when social media started to catch some steam. And I started creating content, educating people about contract law, tort law, civil procedure, anything that I was learning in law school, I'd share it on Snapchat, Facebook. Instagram wasn't as hot back then. Mm -hmm. And I kind of kept getting better and better and better at it. I noticed the views increasing. I noticed the engagement increasing. And then at some point, people started reaching out to me asking for legal help. And when I took my first job out of law school, even though I had always been an entrepreneur my whole life, I wanted to learn the game. I wanted to learn how personal injury worked. And so I worked at this law firm and I'm very open about how this whole process happened because I was only making $40,000 a year when I started as an attorney. Mm. And I would work Monday through Friday at the law firm, learn how PI works. And then on the weekends, I would sell electronics and work at the flea market and just to kind of, you know, make some sales and make a little bit of money. Yeah. After 14 months, I realized I was bringing in more cases than anyone else at the firm through social media. I learned enough about managing my own cases. And then I decided it's now or never. I'm going to just start my own firm. And so February, 2017, I decided from the trunk of my car, I'm going to run a law practice. I didn't even have office, didn't have employees, didn't even have a website until like two years later. Hmm. I literally built, bootstrapped a multi-million dollar law firm from the trunk of my car and with my phone. And so I guess long story short is I use social media as kind of my outlet in terms of showcasing my creativity and having fun. And if there's an added bonus of bringing in some clients and making some money, then great. Yeah. So you grew up speaking Arabic, Spanish, and English. Was that part of what made you study multicultural communications and the Mandarin when you were in school? Yeah, I think I personally, this is super biased, but... I think the people that speak multiple languages have a huge advantage over other people. Mm -hmm. Um, You're using parts of the brain that other people never get to use. And I think there's a, there's a positive correlation between multilingual people and they're just their overall intelligence. So that's why the majority of my law firm is also bilingual. Okay. You mentioned that you've always had businesses. You've always started your own thing and I think it was before law school, you had owned about seven different companies. Yep, that's correct. Okay. And I was so impressed reading about you because you had actually, at one time you were earning $10,000 a week (laughs) with your audio and electronics company that you had. And so were you still running this business while you were in law school or was it self-sustaining by that point? So there were eBay stores that I had online and I would basically buy electronics from distributors in Atlanta, in in Miami, in California, wherever there were either distributors or manufacturers, like big wholesale hubs. Mm -hmm. And I had been selling retail with my brothers. So we had a car audio shop that we started back in like 2004 when I was still in high school. 
I started it with my brothers. My dad basically saved up $2,000 and helped us start that business. And through online sales and learning how to buy in wholesale and then sell retail and then learning how to drop ship, I never kept track of how much I actually sold. If I, okay. But if I were to guess, I think it was well over a million dollars in online sales before I even got to law school. Mm-hmm. And there was a company that we bought out. It was called Elf Audio. And my dad was a huge motivator and inspirer for this because he wanted us to never clock in and just have our own business and our own freedom. Yeah. And part of that was learning how to buy, not just wholesale, not just, you know, big transactions, but also learn how to acquire companies. So we acquired this one car audio company. And one of the products that they had was this Elf audio mini amplifier that they were uh, selling and it did really, really well. So I had a couple hundred of those. We bought them for something like 60 or 70 bucks a piece because we just bought all of them. Mm-hmm. And then I posted them on eBay and I would sell them between 180 to $250 online. Nice. And I literally lived off of those mini amplifiers through law school. Like every, you know, sales would come in. I'd be sitting in contracts class and Professor Stevens yelling at me. And I'm like, God, how am I going to read these 20 pages tonight? I got so much to do. And then boom, another $200 comes in. I'm like, all right, I'm good now. I'm motivated. So the online store, it was self-sustaining because we had inventory and I had, you know, these online listings that were up and I knew how to package this stuff and ship it all over. But when I was doing $10,000 a week, was when I was buying these Audiobon amplifiers that there's a huge story about Audiobon. I'm, I'm a huge car audio fanatic, but mm-hmm. essentially these seven and $800 amplifiers that were used to power subwoofers and car audio electronics, they had a huge amount of amplifiers that were refurbished. But long story short, I was getting them for like 60, 70% off. Yeah. And the general public didn't care that they were refurbished. So I would sell them online for like five to $800. And in a lot of countries, these amplifiers just weren't available because they were these big chrome flame throwing looking shiny amplifiers. Yeah. And people loved them. And Mm -hmm. so I remember distinctly while I was in middle school, packaging up amplifiers and shipping them to Italy and France and Canada and different countries in Africa. And that's when I was hitting $10,000 a week in sales because I was making $500 to $1,000 per transaction. Wow. And I was doing that while I was in middle school, all just selling through eBay. And so I started getting really good at online sales. I discovered this auction website called Ubid back in like the early 2000s. Ubid was not very well known. And so it was an auction website. And so I I discovered these kicker subwoofers that were normally like $250 wholesale. I found them for like $74 to $96 on this auction website. So I'd, I'd start by buying two of them sell them online or sell them in the retail store. Take that money, reinvest, buy four of them. Take that money, buy 20 of them. Before (laughs) you knew it, I had this tower of electronics in this detached garage in front of our house where we ran our car audio shop. And I use that same mentality with how I bootstrapped my law firm. You don't need outside funding. You don't need Mm -hmm. all this other help. You just need a little bit of creativity, a little bit of grit and fortitude, and a whole lot of hustle. Mm-hmm. And anyone can build a seven or eight figure business with that mentality. Yeah. I'm nodding my head and listening, but that mentality is, is pretty hard to come by, right? You might get glimpses of it every now and then, but it's pretty hard to sustain. So I think it's very interesting that you were going through supply chain management <laughs> and acquisitions all while you were in high school. Like, I hope you know that this is a huge deal. Like it's a really big deal. You know, I think that most people, especially in this generation, younger Mm -hmm. people, 
they're entitled. Like people owe you something. Yeah. And that success should just come naturally to you. Well, I grew up in a completely different generation. I'm 31, but I grew up in a generation and in a time where I worked in a mechanic shop at age mm-hmm. seven, eight years old. I was changing tires and had serious workplace injuries while I was in elementary school. Yeah. I know how hard it is to make five dollars because you have to wait for a customer to pull in at 7 p.m. that got a nail in their tire on their way back from the grocery store to their home. Mm-hmm. They pulled into the only mechanic shop that was open on Murray Avenue in Dalton, Georgia, and they see this 11-year-old kid come out with a plug and this, this equipment to plug their tire, take that five bucks, and you know take that money home because now we can make sure we pay the utility bill. Yeah, That's how I grew up. And when you come from that background, there is nothing, there is nothing that's ever going to motivate you more than not wanting to go back to it. Mm-hmm. And so I have this chip on my shoulder because I grew up poor and yeah. I grew up from immigrant parents. And when I get to travel overseas and see how my family members and my cousins live overseas, I know that they're just as smart, just as capable, just as, you know, athletic and handsome and, and all these things, all the characteristics you want and someone who you think looks successful, they mm-hmm. got it all if and more, but what they don't have is opportunity. Yeah. And when you, when you realize that you have so much opportunity here, when you stop looking for excuses and you start looking for opportunities, doors just start opening up. Yeah. So this mindset, it's not something that you learn. It's something that I have out of necessity. Mm-hmm. I grew up with it. This is the biggest advantage I have over all other young lawyers and entrepreneurs. I know what it takes to work with my bare hands. And if I have to go and scrub toilets every night and weekend to save up enough money to bootstrap my business or bootstrap my law firm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to outwork you every day of the week. Yeah. You can't, you don't even need to think about competing with me. If you think about competing with me, if you dream about competing with me, you should wake up and apologize. You know what I mean? Like that Muhammad Ali quote. Yeah. I'm my only competition, just who I was yesterday. And and that's another thing is that you get this mindset when you stop comparing yourself to other people, because you know what? I don't think I'm like other people. I'm not happy with a seven or eight figure law firm. I'm not happy with one or $2 million a month in, in revenue for my law firm. I want to have the biggest law firm in the entire country. I want to have the most successful law practice in the entire country. I want to be synonymous. When anyone thinks of a lawyer, they think of CEO lawyer because that's the only thing that comes to mind. That's what I'm going for. So anyone that's thinking less than that, you're not my competition. I don't really care about what you have to say. I'm on a mission and I'm going to do whatever it takes. If it takes me 25 or 30 years to accomplish that, I'm going to do it. I was really impressed by the $10,000 a week, but you've said multiple times now, I mean, you're making million dollar months and multi-million dollar months. Yeah. It sounds like for someone other than you, like you could take your foot off the gas a little bit, but you're not because you want to be synonymous. Whenever anyone thinks about law firms, they think about CEO lawyer. The moment you take your foot off the gas, the moment you stop growing, stop investing, stop learning is when you die. It's not growing, you're dying. Yeah. Look at nature, look at plants, look at trees, look at insects, look at animals, look at humans. You're either growing or you're dying. Mm-hmm. There's people that are still growing at age 70. Yeah. And then there's people that stop living at age 30. So I'm of the opinion that if you want to survive, that I have to continue getting better. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can take my foot off the gas, but why? I'm motivated by something so much bigger than money. 
you know what my vision is, what my real ultimate goal is? What? I want to build the first Muslim hospital in the United States. Okay, that's awesome. And and I want to be able to offer free medical care to anyone who needs it. Wow. And I want to do that because I feel it's my mission and it's my obligation to elevate the perception of Muslims in this country. Yeah. And I'm going to do that. Inshallah, God willing, I'm going to do it. And so that kind of vision requires a lot of money, requires a lot of resources, requires a lot of connections, Mm -hmm. and it requires never giving up, not letting your foot off the gas. I have more than enough financially to to sit back and relax. I could have retired last year and lived the rest of my life super comfortably. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to another lawyer today. One lawyer said, oh, I'm an Asian female. And someone told me that, you know, no one likes to hire Asian females. And me being a Muslim, you know, man, Palestinian, you know, I also think that, you know, people discriminate against me just because I'm Muslim, just because I'm Arab. Mm -hmm. So I responded. I said, people hire whoever markets best. Yeah. That's the truth. And some guy responded to me and said, oh, that's not true at all. You don't have to be a good marketer. And it doesn't mean that you're even a good lawyer. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of us, as long as we just do a good job, we can make a decent living. And I responded to him. Good thing I'm not settling for a decent living. (laughs) If God gives you the ability to impact thousands and millions of lives to elevate people's lifestyle and their mentality and everything around them, it would be a shame for you not to do it. Yeah. You're selfish. You would be extremely selfish if God gave you and gifted you with the capacity to help others and you don't do anything with it. Nah, Mm -hmm. man, I just want to chill and go on vacation. I love vacation. I love traveling. I love meeting new people. I I love having fun, but I love being able to impact the world more. Yeah, that hospital, that's huge. That's definitely something that'll make you keep going, make you stay up and daydream and brainstorm in the middle of the night because that's awesome. I find that a lot of lawyers have problems or difficulty getting clients, right? They can be entertaining on social media, but they don't actually get clients. What is it do you think about your content that actually makes people say, oh, he actually knows what he's talking about. I want to pay him to represent me. Authenticity. Okay. I think most lawyers are trying to advertise on social media instead of trying to educate and entertain. Mm -hmm. And people can tell when it's an advertisement. People don't go on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok to be advertised to. In fact, TikTok's motto for advertising is don't create advertisements, create TikToks. Yeah. And when you learn how to create captivating content like that, people engage and people want to work with you. Mm -hmm. And that's the main difference. Yeah. So your brother is also an attorney. And (laughs) you said that you actually thought about going to law school because you were watching him or he was in law school at the time. Do you two work together or do you compete with him or what? My brother is a huge, he's a, he's a huge motivator for me. Mm-hmm. I look up to him a lot. I learned a lot from his mistakes and I credit a lot of my success to him okay. uh, because I get to, I, I learn from him. I get to watch him. Now with respect to us working together, we're both entrepreneurs. We're both serial CEOs. Okay. We like doing our own thing. We like being the masters of our own domains and we collaborate on a lot of cases But I like running my business the way I want to run it because I'm the CEO (laughs) of my life and he's the CEO of his life. Yeah. And so we're happy with the relationship that we have now because we talk about cases and business and entrepreneurship all the time. My whole family does. Mm -hmm. But I feel like we have two very different personalities and it's two alpha males going at it. You know what I mean? 
I'd rather be like, look, you, you, you have your kingdom and I have mine and let's just, you know, agree to be friendly and have fun because this is such a big blue ocean that we could all grow and benefit from it. Mm-hmm. So we definitely collaborate, but we have two separate law firms. Okay. And I thought it was ironic that after law school, you were working for someone else and you said you're making $40,000 a year when there's a lot of law schools that actually cost $40,000 a year. So there's that aspect to it, but then also you were making that money from your businesses. Were I was you all the money, all the money from my businesses for the most part? I was giving it to my dad. Okay. And my dad was giving that to his family overseas. Okay. Because his dad passed away when he was 24, so he became the father figure for his 10 siblings at a very young age. Mm-hmm. So part of the reason why education is such a big deal in my family. And part of the reason why we're those underdogs, we had to learn how to hustle and, and work at a very young age is because my dad took all the money that we made for the most part to support his, his family and support his relatives that couldn't come to the U.S. Because yeah. in my mind, as long as I have a U.S. citizenship, I already won the lottery. Mm-hmm. I don't need anything else. You can drop me off anywhere in the entire country with absolutely nothing to my name and I'll come back next year as a millionaire. Yeah. I know what it's like to be hated just because of what you look like and who mm-hmm. you are and what you sound like. And I know about all the stereotypes and the inherent racism and that you will never be good enough and you're never involved in this club and we don't want you here. I, I can show you messages right now. Literally, I, I open up my phone and comments are flooded everywhere on Instagram and Facebook because I run so many ads. Oh, I would never give my money to this Taliban looking guy. Oh, I would never hire this dirty Arab Muslim. These are comments I get every single day. All the time. And I I sometimes share it on social media, but I want you to know that like there is adversity, but if you have a U.S. citizenship, you already Mm -hmm. won. If there are immigrants coming from overseas and from other countries and they're still building a legacy here, what excuse do you have as a U.S. citizen? Mm -hmm. That's my mentality on that. And so that's why growing up, all the money that we made went to my dad. In fact, all the money that I saved I remember distinctly at age 13, I gave my dad $13,000. That's how much I had saved from just selling stuff online. Age 15, I gave him another $17,000. By high school, when I was 17, 18, I decided I'm just going to, you know, keep this money and save it for myself. By age 22, 23, after paying for the first semester of law school, I had $45,000 to my name. I used that as a down payment to buy an apartment complex in Dalton. That down payment was $90,000. I asked my brother, my, my younger brother, to pitch in the other 45. Now, there goes my entire life savings. Yeah. Then, in order to renovate the apartment complex, I took out credit cards and took out these cash advances on the cards to renovate the apartment complex. Because I thought at the time, you know, as long as you have cash flow and you have apartments, you know, you're going to be wealthy. You know, anyone mm-hmm. who get, does real estate is going to be wealthy. But now I've become truly financially literate. And yeah. I know it's not about, it's not about just having assets or having residual income. It's about the compounding effect of your money. Mm-hmm. and the percentage of ROI that you get. And so that's why I actually sold my apartment complex and took all that money and reinvested it back into my law firm. And that's why we grew 340% in 2020. Okay. And now I basically teach other lawyers how to do the same thing, how to grow their brand on social and how to invest their money properly by building up their law firms. I saw that. Would you share a little bit of details about the summit that you have? Sure. So we're hosting the CEO Lawyer Summit December 13th through the 15th. Uh, we're going to spend three days teaching you everything you need to know about digital branding and social media marketing. And we have some of the best law firms in the entire country attending and it's going to be an amazing, amazing conference. 
Yeah. And it's for lawyers and just other professionals. So it's mainly catered towards lawyers, although we do have a lot of doctors, accountants, and other professionals attending. Yes. Okay. So would you even say that law students could attend? Yes, absolutely. We're, uh, we're thinking about having a student ticket, like a student pass that we're going to mm-hmm. offer. It just depends because we might actually sell out of the event. Okay. But if anyone is listening to this or watching is interested, I'm happy to give them you know, a discount code that hooks them up. If they just say, hey, I heard you on the UR Lawyer podcast, then I'll gladly send them a discount code to help them out. Because I, I do want the younger generation to benefit from this as well. Great. And we will have all of those details listed in the show notes as well. When you were in law school, did you work in any legal clinics or anything like that that helped to show you how to run a business? Or was your education in that truly working at the small firm? You don't learn how to run a business while you're in law school. Unless you work at, as an intern for another law firm, that's the only yeah. way you're going to learn. I did intern at a small business litigation firm okay. and at an immigration firm. Quickly realized I don't like either of those. Okay. And that's when I went on to personal injury. Yeah. Um, I know there's a number of law schools that have like those small business incubators, which are trying to teach you how to run a business, but I'm sure it's not the same as watching someone running a business. So. No, I, you, you have to put yourself in a position to succeed. Mm-hmm. And that oftentimes that means, you know, I hate that saying, don't bite off more than you can chew. Yeah. No, man, bite as much as you can figure out how to chew it later. <laughs> okay. I can see that. I find it fascinating how you're so open and vulnerable about how much money you were making when you were working for someone else, right? $40,000 a year as a licensed attorney. And I say this because everyone thinks if you go to law school, you know, once you're a lawyer, money is just coming in hand over fist, right? You might get a job making $130,000 a year, big money to work 75 hours a week. But here you were making $40,000 and you also felt undervalued. Do you think that lawyers are probably thinking too small? Like, are we kind of shortchanging ourselves a little bit? It is small thinking. You know, it's, it's, it's small thinking when you put a dollar figure next to anything that you seek to accomplish. Yeah. I think lawyers, for the most part, think that having a law degree automatically qualifies them as an entrepreneur, automatically qualifies them as a business owner. Mm-hmm. as a financial expert, as an investor, as a real estate person. I think lawyers are their own worst enemy, mm-hmm. just like doctors, because going to law school only means you have a license to practice. Yeah. It doesn't mean you've learned anything. So that's why I went and worked for someone for 40 grand a year, especially for a small law firm. Well, course, I can't get a job anywhere, but mm-hmm. next I would realize if I'm going to work somewhere, I'm going to be in a position where I can learn everything I need to know about running my own practice. Mm-hmm. And you can only do that at a small firm, not at a big firm. Yeah. So if you plan on starting your own law firm, I highly recommend you learn from a small business first, learn what it's like to set up a claim, learn what it's like to open up a file, uh, do basic research, you know, contact clients, outbound leads, outbound marketing, uh, do, do some social media posting, hiring and firing, just the basics of running a small business. Yeah. You don't learn that as a, as a cog in a big operation. I think lawyers need more education about finances, about business, about entrepreneurship. And yes, you're absolutely thinking small because I remember distinctly while I was in law school, I remember having a conversation with my younger brother and I told him, man, 
if I could just make $1,500 a week, I'm willing to let everything go and just work for someone for $1,500 a week. Mm-hmm. Cause that was 75 grand a year, you know, after before taxes, maybe a hundred grand or so like that's enough for me. That's enough for me to set aside some money, invest and be able to, to really take care of things. Mm-hmm. Now there's nothing wrong with being an employee and then working your way up towards becoming a partner in one of those big law firms. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that you'll never be able to actually step away and have full ultimate control and ultimate freedom. I can step away from my business right now for the next six months and just focus on any other project or anything else that I want to do. I could take a vacation for the next six months. And the, just the happiness that I get from knowing that I could do that at any time mm-hmm. is what keeps me going. It makes me realize like, I'm already living the American dream. I got everything yeah. that I want. I have the ultimate freedom. I, I get to decide how much I want to work and how much I want to chill. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's, it's not, it's not that everyone can work more. Everyone can be a better spouse, a better sibling, a better okay. child, you know, a better student, better entrepreneur. You can always be better. It's just what you prioritize. And yeah. if, you, if you're, if it's more important to you to have a great body and be super healthy than to have a big fat bank account, then your life is going to show it. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to kind of have a little bit more balance and I force myself into those balances because I'm a super, I have an addictive personality. So if I find something and I focus on it, I just zero in on it until I yeah. achieve it. So that's why I have to force myself into like diets and exercise and things like that. I also do the same thing with vacations, by the way. I force mm-hmm. myself to go on vacation. The way you do that, you just book something two, three months in advance. Like, you know what? I want to go to Italy. I was talking to my wife. Like, you know what? We should go to Italy soon. Cool. As soon as we get a chance, we're going to go online, see when they have deals, book that flight and forget about it. A few months down the road, holy shit, we're going to Italy next week. You know? <laughs> so if you do that, you, you realize, hey, I need to have breaks. I need to you know, be intentional about these things and you put them on the schedule. Mm-hmm. Whatever you tell your body to do, whatever your mind tells your body to do, your body will do it. Yeah, absolutely. Because you are in control. The mind is always in control. That's right. So there's one question that's just running through the back of my mind. And that is, you have your thriving business and we're still going to speak about CEO media, but you have your social media accounts and you have all of this following. And why do you still practice? Because <laughs> you still have a personal injury law firm. Like, I mean, why I, are you, uh, why do you find it important to continue to run that? Well, that's a good question. Honestly, I like it. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm happy doing it. I love my team. I like the work that I do and the people that I get to meet on a daily basis and the lives that I get to impact. Mm -hmm. I enjoy it. My name is CEO lawyer, not just CEO. So, uh, you know, practicing law is important to me and I like the change that we get to effectuate on a daily basis. I also have 30 plus employees and families that rely on me now. Mm So yeah, I can step away, sell the law firm, give it away to someone we haven't reached our potential. I'm not interested in selling or exiting right now. Yeah. You know, when you have a billion dollar vision, you're not going to settle for a $10 million exit. Okay. And are you still making court appearances and everything? Or are you more of like a managing partner? Yeah, I'm a managing attorney. Okay. Um, I own the law firm and then I have associate attorneys that handle all my litigation. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're extremely well paid. So I attract high quality clients and cases and attract high quality, talented people to my firm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my job as a CEO is really just relationship management and talent acquisition, and then figuring out how to structure my business so that it can thrive. Oftentimes that means you're continuing to evolve and restructure 
you know, we, we match people up based on their personalities. We look at people's strengths and their weaknesses, you know, and thankfully we've never actually lost a single employee from our law firm. Like not a single person has ever quit from our law firm, except mm-hmm. for one person. And that was because I, I motivated him to go start his own business. He wanted to have a car, <laughs> car dealership. So, okay. And that's a good reason to, to have someone move yeah. on. So. We ended on good, good terms. So we're still friends. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been speaking about CEO lawyer this whole time. But you also have a company called CEO Media, and it's a company that trains attorneys and professionals to brand themselves online. We kind of touched on it a little bit when we talked about the summit that you have. But why did you create CEO Media, and what do you think its mission is? Our goal is to educate lawyers, doctors, and professionals on how to properly connect with their clients in this digital landscape. Mm -hmm. So I think the traditional advertising of billboard, radio, TV, mm-hmm. it's just not as effective as it used to be. And yeah. I think especially young lawyers, young entrepreneurs and young professionals, if they learn how to use social media. They can really change their lives and change their families' lives and everyone around them. So I think it's really important to learn how to properly use social media. And because I'm a practitioner, you know, you asked the question earlier about, um, you know, why do I still practice law? Well, apart from genuinely enjoying what I do, it also gives me massive credibility Mm -hmm. because I'm I'm not just a social media guy. I'm an actual practitioner. So when I tell you what works, you will believe me because I'm doing it in my own practice. I'm not just a, I don't have an ulterior motive to try to sell you a product or a service. I'm doing it for my own practice. And so that credibility, I think, uh, helps tremendously with people listening and paying attention and really revolutionizing the practice of law and how professionals use social media. Yeah. Um, As I was looking at your social media accounts and just kind of doing my research, it's amazing how social media is the new media, right? Like people used to, and they still do, advertise on TV and you have these commercials and the numbers that they're always putting in a jingle. But social media truly is where you can find people at all, you know, 24 hours (laughs) a day, seven days a week. So, um, most people are not able to actually convert viewers into clients. And I think it's great that you've been able to find out that formula and find what works. Yeah. It's because most people don't have entrepreneurship in a business mind, to mm-hmm. be honest. You know, there are some really, really good content creators out there, but they don't have a business plan. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a lot more to it than just creating content. You have to actually figure out a way to monetize it at some point. But the two biggest problems I see is that some people never monetize. They don't know how to run a business. And then the other big problem is that they monetize too early. They yeah. try to take their existing following and try to sell them stuff before they've actually given them enough value. Yeah, I could see that. Okay. So Ali, as we wrap up here, is there anything that you would say to a law student about what they can do with their law degree, the potential that they have in being a lawyer? I would say... The best quality in an entrepreneur is learning what advice to take and what advice to leave. Mm. And oftentimes people will give you advice from a position of love because they're your family or they're uh, a mentor or someone that's not necessarily qualified to give you that advice, but they want to give you that advice because they care. That does not mean that they're qualified. Yeah. Yeah the best quality that you can have is figuring out what advice to keep and what advice to let go. And it's all based on the qualification of the person giving you that advice. So Mm -hmm. 
don't take building a law firm advice from your law professor who's never owned a law firm. Yeah. Don't take financial advice from someone who can't keep a, a steady job or get insufficient funds in their bank account on a daily basis. Don't take relationship advice from someone who's been through seven divorces. There, this is common sense, but it's just not so common when it comes to running a law firm and being an entrepreneur. Yeah. So whatever path you choose to take, you have to look at the person who's giving you that advice and make sure they're qualified. And the way you do that is look at their current situation, compare it to their past situation from last year. Does that growth excite you? Does that change in this person's life lend itself to motivating you to want to change? Yeah. The answer is yes. And you like it. Listen to that person. If it's a resounding no, still smile and move on. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Kyla. Oh, of course. Bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. While you are here, subscribe to the show, leave a rating and tell a friend about this episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.